been 10 years, over 10 years now, since the fire, 10 years this past summer. And yet, every time the fire whistle goes off here in town, I go to the window and I look and I make sure that the church is, I don't just make sure our church isn't on fire. I look over at the Methodist church and I make sure they're not on fire. I look over at the Presbyterian church. I step out and I look around and make sure I can't see smoke and I can't see flames anywhere. It, it hasn't changed. I still, I still go and check. I have a lot of memories of that morning of the fire. One of the memories that sticks with me is going over to Lynn Dennison's house. By the way, today is Lynn Dennison's birthday. I don't know if anyone knew that or not, but today is Lynn Dennison's birthday. Her daughter, Carol Ann, messaged me this morning just to make sure that I would remember that. She's probably in trouble anyway. But I remember running over to Lynn's house because Lynn lived back over here and wanted to make sure she was awake and get her out of the house as soon as we could, just in case things got really involved. And as the flames were going up and as it was getting worse and worse, I remember a prayer I prayed as I ran to Lynn's house. Lynn, I prayed this prayer. God, you can't do this. That was my prayer. You can't do this to me. I can't be the preacher that goes through a fire. I can't be the preacher that has to help people rebuild a church. I can't do that. That was my prayer that morning. That was not my plan. It was not what I wanted. It was not what I felt equipped to do. And it was not the first time I prayed a prayer like that, nor would it be the last time I prayed a prayer like that. I prayed the prayer, Lord, I can't be the preacher that goes back to his hometown and preaches. That's not who I can. I can't be that person. I can't go preach to those people. I prayed the prayer, God, I can't be a special needs parent. I can't raise child with special needs. I can't do that. And yet, and yet those prayers don't seem to have affected God. You've probably prayed prayers like that too. Maybe you've prayed the prayer, Lord, I can't, I can't care for a, a dying spouse. I can't, I can't be the, the parent of a child who's passed away. I can't be that. I can't do these things. I can't go through a cancer diagnosis. We, we love to tell God what we can't do. This past week on, on my Tuesday email, I send out that email on Tuesday, try to keep it short and encouraging. And I asked for some responses. I asked people, what was your holy ground experience? And when I say holy ground experience, I'm not talking about this place that was beautiful and perfect and lovely, this place where you knew that there were angels all around, like in the song that we sing. But where was that moment like Moses where you're out there on the edge, where you're all alone, where it probably burns you a little bit, and yet God lets you know that He is there. I said, where was your holy ground moment? Maxine Vale responded, and she said, my most holy ground was when Jason, their son, when Jason left us. That moment was definitely holy ground. A few other times also. The autism diagnosis, Christmas 2012 with Jason in the ICU on a ventilator. She went on and she said, when we sing the song Holy Ground, on a sunny day, I look for the angels through the collars of the stained glass windows. They are there. I always feel that Jason encourages them to shine through so I can see them. At least I can imagine this for my joy and my peace. 
I think one of the things that Maxine has learned, one of the things that I know I've had to learn, one of the things that I'm sure you've learned, and one of the things that we see Moses learning here is that holy ground shows you what you're not. Holy ground shows you what you do not have. It shows you what you lack. Holy ground will convince you of who you're not ready to be. But we come to holy ground. We come to holy ground anyway. And God meets us there. And we don't leave the same. We're looking at Exodus chapter 3 today. Just two verses today. I'll take it easy on you. Verses 11 and 12. Exodus 3, verses 11 and 12. It's page 46 in those blue Bibles in front of you if you want to grab one of those. Last week we did look at 10 verses. We looked at verses 1 through 10. And it's in verses 1 through 10 that Moses is out uh, out there in the wilderness with his father-in-law's sheep. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep. And he sees this bush that's burning. It's burning and yet it's not being consumed. And Moses says, I will turn aside and I will see this strange sight. Why this bush is burning and yet not being consumed. And that is where God speaks to him. God reveals his plan to Moses. God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to go back to Egypt to get my people out of bondage. And then we come here to verses 11 and 12. And this is where Moses starts telling God that he's wrong. <laughs> I'm the wrong guy. You can't do this. Does it sound familiar? I can't be the one that goes through the fire. I can't be the one who cares for special needs. I can't be the one who has a cancer diagnosis. We love to tell God who we're not. Can we trust Him with who He says that we are? Verses 11 and 12. But Moses, but... Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He, God, said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." You hear it right there in Moses' open words, don't you? Moses' first question to God. Moses asked, who am I? Who am I? Now, there's a good chance that when you think of Moses, you think of this very strong character from the Bible. You think of this powerful man, this very confident man. You're probably thinking of Charlton Heston right now, you know, with his beard and his, his bare chest standing there holding the Ten Commandments, that commanding, powerful voice. That's... That's not the Moses we have in chapter 3. That's not the Moses we see at the beginning of the story. Take a closer look, especially here in chapter 3. Who is this guy? He's a murderer. He's a runaway. He is a failure. And now he is just a shepherd out on the edge of the world. Nine days journey away from Egypt. He has run away and he's even run away a little bit further. And you know, it is so easy for us to forget that the Moses that we saw in chapter 2 who ran away from Egypt, who ended up out here in Midian raising sheep, the Moses we meet in chapter 2 and then the Moses we see in chapter 3 who is out there being that shepherd, 40 years. 40 years passed between the span of chapter 2 and chapter 3. 40 years. This has been his identity. This is who he has been for half of his life. 40 years of running, 40 years of failure, 40 years of shame, 40 years away from Egypt, not just away from Egypt, but away from all of his people and away from his God too. 
All Moses can see in himself is failure. All he sees is I am inadequate. And so verse 11, who am I? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? There's a very common... There's a very common feeling that people have. There's a very common feeling people have. Psychologists call it imposter syndrome. Have you heard of imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is that little voice in your head that says, you are a fake. You are a phony. You have fooled everyone up until this point, but they're going to figure you out. They're going to figure out that you are not capable of the things that they think you're capable of. They're going to find out that you are incompetent you have no idea what you're doing. You fooled people up to this point. And sooner or later, it's going to catch up with you. That's imposter syndrome. Everyone is going to figure you out. If you've ever been plagued with self-doubt, if you've ever been plagued with self-doubt, you've been there. You've experienced imposter syndrome. You've, you know that feeling. That's what's happening to Moses here in chapter 3. He feels like he's fooled everyone. He's, he's even fooled God. And is that possible to fool God? <laughs> No, you can't fool God. So what is, Mo what is God seeing in Moses that Moses can't see in himself? I think one of the things that God sees in Moses is he sees his heart. He sees a man who wants to set people free. Let let's remember why Moses is here. Forty years earlier, he witnessed an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his fellow Hebrews, beating a Hebrew slave. Moses took the law into his own hand, socked the guy, killed him, hid the body, did something very, very wrong, and yet his goal was to liberate. His goal was to set that slave free. You can go back just to chapter 2. What happens when Moses first goes to Midian? Chapter 2, this, this is where he meets his wife. Chapter 2, verses 16-19. through 19. It says, Now the priest of Midian, that's his father-in-law, had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. So they're, they're acting as shepherds also. But then some other shepherds, the shepherds came and drove them away, drove the daughters away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, well, how is it that you have come back home so soon today. So this was happening over and over again. These, these guys were, were, were always uh, aggravating them. These guys were always giving them problems. How is it you come back home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian, as Moses looked like an Egyptian, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered our flock. Wow. Moses beats back all these shepherds who are bothering these seven women? How, how big a guy was he? How, how big a guy was he? How imposing of a figure was Moses? You know, God can see past your failure. He can see past your failure, past your shame, and He sees the potential in your heart. He sees the potential in Moses' heart, and He says, this man doesn't know it yet, but he is a deliverer. It may be that you're too close to your problems to see your potential. It may be that you've been too focused on your failure to see the opportunities that God has ahead for you. It is so easy to look, to look back at the past. It's so easy for us to look back at the past and say, well, this is what I did wrong. This is what I did wrong again. This is where I went too far. Or this is where I didn't go far enough. And yet, what if God looks at those times that we 
we label as failure, what if God looks at those times and say, this is where you prove to me what your passion is? Yes, it was imperfect. And yes, you may have even made a mess of things, but you showed me your passion. God sees what you're made of. He sees potential that you and I can't even begin to imagine. Maybe, maybe you think you're an imposter. Maybe you think that somehow you've fooled everyone. But what Moses' story tells us is that when you can't find your confidence, God promises His presence. When you can't find your confidence, God promises His presence. So we're spending January here out at the burning bush with Moses. We're going to hear a lot of excuses over the month, a lot of excuses from Moses. There are five times in this chapter and a half, five times that Moses tells God what he can't do. Five times Moses questions God's wisdom. Can you imagine questioning God's wisdom? Maybe, maybe you can. Maybe you can't imagine questioning God's wisdom. Maybe you've prayed that prayer before. I don't think you've thought this through, God. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? I don't think you've thought this through, God. I don't think you understand what's going on, God. Let me give you new information you obviously don't have, God. Let me tell you about me. That's what Moses does. Moses tells God, I'm nobody. I've got nothing. I can't even talk good. They're not going to listen to me. And, and he also says, and, and who are you anyway? I don't even know who you are. You know, if you follow me on, on social media, if you follow me on, on Facebook or Instagram, I, I hope what you see, if you're following me online, I hope you see a lot of encouragement. I, I made a decision several years ago that there is enough negativity on social media. And there's enough fighting and there's enough bickering on social media. No one needs to see more of that. And so I made a decision several years ago that if anyone looks at what I post, I want to make their day better. I want to either entertain them. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to post something funny. Sometimes that's debatable, but I'm going to try to post something funny. I'm going to try to post something that'll make you think. I'm, I'm going to I'll try to post something that's going to encourage you. Now, part of that is because of the negativity that's out there. I want to combat the negativity that's out there, but i got to be honest, a big part of it's because of the negativity that's here. Because I recognize that left to my own devices, left to my own thoughts, I can become a very negative person. And so if you see me post anything on social media, let me tell you, I post it first because I needed to hear it. I post it first because it impacted me in some way, and I want to share it with you. A couple of weeks ago, I posted a statement from a man named Adam Grant. And Adam Grant was talking about this imposter syndrome. This is a little hard to follow, so let this one kind of sink in a little bit. Adam Grant wrote this, imposter syndrome is a paradox. It doesn't make sense. Other people believe in you, and yet you don't believe in yourself. Yet you believe them, and oh, yet you believe yourself instead of them. If you doubt yourself, shouldn't you doubt your own judgment about yourself? Let me say that one more time. If you doubt yourself, shouldn't you doubt your own judgment about yourself? When multiple people believe in you, it might be time to believe them. Now that's not to say that you don't have problems. <laughs> That's not to say that I don't have problems. God does not deny that Moses has problems. In fact, Moses 
is going to have more problems before this, this, these couple chapters are over. But what does God say? Verse 12, the very next verse, God says to Moses, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. You realize that's a message that God has to give His people over and over again. Genesis, the first book. Genesis and then Exodus. The first book of the Bible. Genesis, 12 or 14 times in Genesis. 14 times in Genesis, God has to tell Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I will be with you. Over and over again, we read those. And then Moses comes along. And then after Moses passes away, we've got Joshua. And what's the first thing that Joshua tells him as he steps into that leadership position? Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, God says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. We jump ahead to the New Testament. Gospel of Matthew. Very last thing that Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, the very last verse, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You just got done with Christmas this past week. Thank you to everybody who came and took down the trees and got everything cleared away for us this week. But we just got done with Christmas. Christmas we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? That's what we celebrate for Christmas. God with us. Listen, God, God takes your confidence very seriously. And He takes our lack of confidence very seriously. And at every point when you can feel like a failure, every point where you feel like you're inadequate, like you're just not enough, God comes back with those words, but I am with you. And the lesson for Moses and the lesson for us, the lesson we have through Jesus' own words, is that with God, you are enough. With God, you are enough. One of the things I appreciate about this story is, is God's patience with Moses. I mean, it's taken Moses 40 years. Keep that in mind. It's taken him 40 years to get himself to this point. 40 years of mistakes. 40 years of failure. 40 years of running away. God cannot fix all that damage with one burning bush. It doesn't work like that. Okay? And in the same way, you and I shouldn't believe that God will repair all the, all the damage we've done to ourselves instantly. Give ourselves time. Be patient. God is patient with you and trust that with God you are enough. And so we come to verse 12 and God promises Moses a sign. Here's a sign for you. Again, we just got done with Christmas. Christmas, we love to talk about signs, right? We love to talk about signs. We have the virgin birth. And we're told that the virgin birth is a sign. This will be a sign. A virgin will give birth to a child. It is a sign because it is something that is done beyond human ability. This can't happen on our own. God has stepped in and God has done something. And then we talk about the star, the Christmas star. We talk about the wise men following the star. And the star is a sign. A sign is something to follow. We follow signs. 
And then we have the angels speaking to the shepherds. And the angels tell the shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This will be a sign. The shepherds go and they find the baby just as the angels told them. And that is a sign showing them the truth of what the angels said. Every one of those signs confirms what they are told. When you see this, you will know that what I have told you is true. And then we have a sign for Moses. And it's not like any one of those signs. It is, it's not all that helpful of a sign. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Listen to what God tells Moses in verse, in verse 12, the second half of verse 12. He says, This shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. <laughs> wow. Wait, what? What, what's the sign? That when this is all done, we're going to come back to this mountain? When, when, when this is all over with, we're coming back to this mountain? After I've done the hard work, after I've convinced people to leave Egypt where they've got plenty of food, sure, things aren't great because they're slaves, but they've got plenty of food they're being taken care of. After I convince them to leave Egypt, after I convince them to run away from those who, who, who own them, after they've risked their lives, after I've risked my life, after we've crossed the Red Sea somehow on dry land, after we've dodged soldiers all the way here, we'll come back to this mountain and we will worship you here? How is that a sign? How is that any kind of a helpful sign? Here's what it is though. It's faith. And we walk by faith, right? We walk by faith, not by signs. Not by sight. <laughs> Same thing. We walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews chapter 12, or chapter 11, right? Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter. It's all about faith. It's all about all these people of the, of the old days and all the things that they did by faith. By faith, they accomplished this. By faith, they accomplished that. Every one of those people, we're told in Hebrews, they did not see the fulfillment of what they believed in, and yet they continued. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. <clears throat> By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I want you to hear that very carefully. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. <clears throat> Had Moses seen God yet? No. He saw a bush. <laughs> he saw a, a burning bush at this point. Moses hasn't seen God, not yet. But the beginning of the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so I want to ask you, I want you to think about this and consider this over the next few days, what have you not seen yet that you can still trust God for? What is it you've not seen yet, but you can still trust that God has told you the truth about this? What can you trust God for? What have you not seen in yourself that you can still trust God for? What have you not seen in someone that you love? And what is it that they've not been able to see in themselves either? And yet you can still trust God. Despite what you cannot see, 
Can you still trust God's promise when God tells you, but I am with you? I know this looks hard, but I am with you. I know rebuilding after a fire is going to be difficult, Kansas Christian Church, but I am with you. I know going through this illness is going to be terrible, but I am with you. Can you still trust God's promise? But I am with you. And with God, you are enough. And all of those questions that you have, those questions of, well, who am I? Who am I to meet this challenge? Who am I to survive this pain that I have? Who am I to step up and take the lead in this? God comes back again and again, but I am with you. And Jesus comes back with, but I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you know, if, if we could see that, if we could see that for ourselves, not just for ourselves, but if, if we could see that for who we are together, who we are as, as a church, who we are as a, as a community, if we could see that for who we are together, we could be the light that He calls us to be in our community. But we could be the hope that He's called us to carry into the world and the potential that we have. We could see the potential that we have to share with, with so many others. There's so many people that we encounter every day who have no idea who they are. Who have no idea of what they are capable of. We can show them that with God, they are enough. Again, it's one of the reasons we come back to the table every week. It's one of the reasons we come back to the, the bread and the cup every week to remind ourselves that we are not alone. To remind ourselves that, that Jesus is with us always to the very end. I remind you every now and then as we come here, you're not just taking this for yourself. We don't just take communion for what it does for us. You know, like, I need to do this again for me. We're doing this for other people. We're doing this for people we encounter who, who have no idea what the promise of God is for them. We're doing it so that we remember that Christ is with us and we get to be with them. And so we take today thinking about those people out there who, who have no idea what, what God's promised them. And He's promised to be with them. And maybe if you and I are with them, Maybe if you and I encourage them, maybe if you and I help them through those difficult times, that becomes a, a place to start for God to show them who He is. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing together and we'll take. Let's pray. Father, we need that promise. 14 times in Genesis and, and, and countless times through the rest of the Bible all the way up until the very end very end the promise that you are with us the promise that jesus is with us we thank you for that promise we thank you lord that that there is not a challenge we face there is not a struggle that we have there is not a a weakness that we know deep within ourselves that you have not already met with that assurance that you are with us i pray this coming week for my friends I pray that no matter what challenge we might face, no matter what difficulty might come our way, bring that message back to us again and again. 
but I am with you. I pray we know that. I thank you so much for the bread. We thank you for the cup. We thank you for these reminders of your presence. And we thank you, Lord, that you call us to yourself again and again. We love you for that. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.